Welcome to Season 2 of This Is Me. My name is Siobhan. In Season 1, we met everyday Australians and they shared with us their life-changing moments. In this new season of This Is Me, we not only have a new logo, but we have 10 inspiring stories that will hopefully let you walk a mile in someone else's shoes. If you have a story you would like to share, you can DM us at This Is Me Podcast on Instagram. Hi, my name's Craig Evans. I'm 37 years old. I'm a husband and a father to 14-month-old Hunter. And last month, in the midst of COVID, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. I was a radio announcer and an actor and a comedian and then my early 30s I had a mid-youth crisis and decided to do a complete career change. Uh, left the radio, left the stand-up, decided to go back to uni and started studying law. Wow. And it was, yeah, yeah, big change, big change. But it was one of those things that on day one I went, oh wow, this is what I'm meant to be doing. And so... Nelly finished my law degree, um, looking forward to being a graduate next year. I'm the first of my family to go to uni, really. Both parents migrated to Australia from New Zealand. They jumped the ditch many, many years ago. And so I've always been one of those sorts of people that hard work and determination have got me through. I've never had, you know, connections and I didn't go to a private school or anything like that. So it's always been... Yeah, just pure work ethic, I suppose, and attitude that's got me places, you know. Um, I'm a big believer in a positive mindset. I think the only thing you can control in any situation is your attitude. And I think that some of those sorts of things probably um, helped me through this particular period. Been married since uh, November 2017 to the, the lovely... And as some of my friends say, long-suffering Jessica. <laughs> um, she's followed me through my radio and stand-up careers and has pursued uh, or been with me through all of law school. I don't know what was more punishing for her. Um, uh, having to hear my, my, my standard sort of club 20-minute set about a thousand times or just seeing me stress over law assignments the night before they're due. Um, fun fact for you, actually. I was in the middle of a take-home exam when Jess went into oh, wow. labour. Um, yeah, so literally while she was having contractions, I had one hand patting her back and the other hand was reading the textbook. <laughs> and ironically, it was employment law. It was a labour law exam <laughs> whilst she was in labour. You know, I, I'm sort of an atheist, I suppose, but there's times like that when you just look at the, the planets aligning in a certain way, you think, wow, there must be somebody upstairs <laughs> having a big laugh because what are the chances of that? <laughs> in June last year, we had our beautiful baby boy Hunter. It was actually in February this year. I had a, just a really innocuous bike accident. Was riding home from work, um, saw a gap in the traffic, went to jump off the bike and run across the, the road so I could get to the other side, big highway. I should give a trigger warning here for any of the men listening. I'm sure they'll go, whoa, when I say this. Um, so as I jumped off the bike seat, I, I got one of the plums jammed between my legs and the bike seat. Yeah. And bike seats aren't soft. They are notoriously hard. It was uncomfortable, but it, it was, you know, it was nothing. I've probably done that sort of thing a few times before. 
And then sort of the next day, I'd noticed there was a bit of um, swelling to said plum. And that sort of went on for a couple of weeks. And I just thought, oh, it's just the, the initial trauma or that injury that sort of had persisted. And because I'm an idiot, I kept riding anyway. Didn't let that stop me. And that swelling, like it was enough that I noticed like it wasn't something that was I looked back in hindsight now and I should have had the alarm bells ringing it was only that about six weeks later my wife had the poor misfortune of seeing me naked (laughs) and um, sort of saw what was going on there and just said you've got to get that checked out like immediately went to the doctor booked an ultrasound Results of the ultrasound came back and they just thought there was an infection. Mm -hmm. And so I went on a round of antibiotics. The infection passed and the doctor just said, well, look, we'll take you off the antibiotics. Let's just monitor it and see what happens. But the swelling will probably go down. So that was April in this, this year when I went off the antibiotics. And then between April and June, I'd really noticed a dramatic change to the size and the the shape of the the testicle. It went to small to medium sized potato. Um, yeah, so it's pretty significant. And to the point where I tried to wear jeans one day because it was the middle of winter and I needed to wear long pants. And, oh God, I hope this isn't too full on, but it was visible through yeah, the jeans. Okay. When I had the ultrasound, the lady said, yeah, I think it probably is just the infection coming back. And she said, you know, I'll send this off now and you'll, you'll have the report back tomorrow morning. And half an hour later, I had the call from the doctor and he just said, you need to go to emergency, like, right now. Wow. I, literally, I just thought it was the infection. I thought that's all yeah. it was. And I could hear the tone in his voice. And I said, well, what is it? Like, what, what, what's going on here? And he said, look, we think it's the infection. I want to get you on antibiotics again. But it could be malignant. We don't think it is. It could be cancer. Probably not. It was less than 48 hours after I'd had that ultrasound that I got a call from a urologist and he said, you've got testicular cancer. (gasps) I will never forget that conversation. When you hear that word and that diagnosis, your whole world just immediately flips upside down. And because it, it was always an afterthought in the preceding conversations, it just, it just hadn't occurred to me that that's what, this really could actually be and also like growing up too like i'd you know being on the radio we'd interviewed testicular cancer survivors because it's i think it's the second most common cancer amongst young men so you know i'd i'd i was um aware to a degree but i just thought it was lumps in your testicles so every time i'd sort of checked for a lump i was like no we're all good i didn't realize that any change to the shape of your testicle you should go and get checked out like i hadn't realized that that was part of it and so to get that phone call, like immediately, like I'll remember like Hunter was playing on the floor, like in this little play area. And I'm on the phone to this doctor and I could see him playing there and straight away I'm thinking, Jesus, like I'm, this is it. Like I've got cancer and what does this mean now? And you just go to the darkest places. You know, I was thinking that, you know, what, what do I do if I'm not here? Like, does he have godparents? Who's going to look after yeah. him? And then my brain's going to all these other places where I'm going, well, if I'm not here, you know, would I want Jess to remarry? And I'm like, yeah, of course I want Jess to remarry. I want, I want her to be happy. That's what I really want for her. And this is still on the phone call. Yeah. Like, you know, this isn't days later. This is all as I've been getting the, um, the diagnosis. So coupled with that initial thought of, holy shit, like nothing's going to be the same again. Coupled with that, 
is equally this other part of me that, like the urologist said, oh, we need you to come in tomorrow to come and see one of the surgeons because we're going to have to get this out as soon as we can. And I had been doing this assignment, this 15,000-word assignment that I've been working on for nine months and it was due that day. And so I said to him, I was like, mate, I don't think I'm going to be able to come in tomorrow because I've got this assignment that's due, which just shows my naivety. And he said, well, look, just so you know, patients wait six to nine months for appointments with these doctors and uh, we've squeezed you into one tomorrow. So that should just give you an indication of how seriously we're treating this. And I went, okay, cool, I'll be there. So it's this kind of weird feeling of your whole universe changing, but at the same time, you're not at all understanding the gravity of what's going on for you. When you put down the phone, what did you do after that? I told Jess, my wife. Was she home or was that on um, the phone? Yeah, she was working from home as well. So she was just sort of sitting opposite me. And um, I can't remember if we cried together. I know she was really upset. And I was in a pretty dark place. Um, We talked about it and we said what the next steps were. But it was only within a very short period after I made a really conscious decision that no matter what happened here or what was going on or what this meant, that I was going to be positive. And I clearly remember it because I spoke to my friends about this as well. One of them said, oh, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, it's just you seem like you're, you're sort of joking about it. And I said, it's my way of coping. And he said, oh, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, from my perspective, Cancer might have a bit of my body right now, but it's never, ever going to take my mind. And for me, remaining positive and laughing almost in its face was the way that I knew that I was in control. And so I distinctly remember both of us just being like really gutted, like in the middle of everything else that 2020 had offered us it now just decided to serve this up. It was like, wow, like what more? Like what more do we go through? You also don't have a lot of time to yourself because as soon as you tell your family, I was texting my mum and letting her know and then I'm getting messages from people. So you don't really sort of have time to yourself. It wasn't like we were on a deserted island with the urologist. (laughs) What did Um, mum say? Oh, she was devastated. She's living in Sydney, so she couldn't come down here, couldn't be a part of it. The closest person I've got to a dad is my stepfather, and he was wonderful. It was the day of the operation. He actually sent me this really beautiful text message, and it was what I needed, you know. Oh, Jesus. You just said... Good luck today, son. We're with you all the way. We believe your result will be all that you want it to be and this day will be behind you very quickly. Love and best wishes, John. I I couldn't take anyone into the hospital with me. I had to do it all by myself. And when I say I had to do it all by myself, my wife had to do all this by herself too. Because of COVID, I had to go to all the appointments and... Um, surgery, everything. And so, yeah, just getting a message like that on my way to the hospital just meant the world. Yeah. That message just, yeah, that really cut through. That really cut through. 
I'll never forget those trips to the cancer ward. And I think they're the things that are... That's what's really sort of compelling me to transform my life a little bit because the people that are in there are really sick, really sick. And you just... Your heart goes out to them and their families because, God, I, I have no idea what they're going through. But sitting in there by yourself, you know, at my age, I just... Cancer would... It's not something that ever came into my mind. I thought that was something for years down the track, you know. And I think that's the danger of being a young man as well is that most of the things we look at, whether it's health issues, financial issues, so many of the things that we face, they're tomorrow's problems because the world's our oyster today. And I certainly live like that in my 20s. And I had a really important conversation with a friend of a friend who was also a testicular cancer survivor. And he said to me, mate, you've got two roads from this. He said, one road, you keep going with your life and you go, whoo, that was a close call. And thank God I, uh, I, I dodged a bullet there. Well, the other one is you go, wow, this was a real wake-up call. I've got to take a look at myself and who I am and the way I'm living my life. And I've got to think, you know, am I living my best life? Am I being the best man that I can be? And if your answer to that question is no, well, you've got some choices to make. Since having cancer, there's just been small changes that I've been making, but I can tell that this experience alone has changed the way that I'm looking at things. I used to love a sneaky cheeseburger. And I know that sounds really trivial, but I would, you know, if I was going on an errand or something like that and I could go past the fast food store and pick up a sneaky cheeseburger, well, no one was going to know. And now I've realised that that's, you know, cheeseburgers have got their place, that's fine, but not the cheeky ones that I was having. Even my relationship with alcohol, you know, I'm just really conscious now of asking myself, do I really need that? And they're decisions I think that I never would have asked myself without this happening. Tell me about the surgery that you had. You had two, now you have one? Yes. Lefty's got the two-bedroom apartment to himself, <laughs> loving it. It's actually called an orchiectomy. Do you have ongoing tests? Did they look at lymph nodes and things like that? Yeah, they did, yeah. And that was scary in yeah. itself. So I don't need chemo, just surveillance, but they wanted to see me three months post-op. I'll have a CT scan, then bloods. From thereafter, it'll hopefully be once every six months for the first three years or four years, and then we see what happens thereafter. Yeah. But, you know, having to see an oncologist twice a year afterwards is a really small price to pay. Do you ever worry about it spreading or coming back? Yeah, all the time. It's really weird how those thoughts come up as well. It's never like, you know, when you're deep in in thought or in the middle of meditation or doing yoga and asking all of life's big questions. It's when you're standing in the the chip aisle at Woolworths and you're thinking, do I want salt and vinegar or chicken chips? (laughs) Oh, by the way, your cancer could come back. Whoa, where did that come from? You know what I mean? It's never during these big moments. It's when you're standing at the petrol bowser and you're going, okay, $19.99, cancer could come back, $20.05. Oh God, I've gone over. How did I do that? You know, it's... (laughs) It's, it's never when you'd expect. So, um, yeah, I do. I do. And you know what? Like all of this, I just go with the flow, right? If it comes back, it comes back. We deal with it. As soon as you tell people that you've got cancer or you had cancer, it changes a room. Mm. 
you know, it's like hearing the last post. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're in a crowded pub and you hear the last post, everyone goes silent. And it was the same thing. Like after my operation, I couldn't walk properly. So anytime I go to get coffee, people were like, oh, well, what happened? And you're like, oh, I had surgery. And they're like, oh, what? Like a knee replacement or something. I was like, no, cancer. And the whole room stops. Like it's a like a Western, yeah. you know, when someone walks into the bar and the Western and the guy playing the piano in the corner stops and everyone looks over and, you know, you can hear the doors yeah. swinging in the background. My- I think everyone needs to deal with cancer in their own way. Yeah. And I don't think that my way would necessarily be right for everyone. The less we stigmatise men's health and the more we make it part of the conversation, I think the better off everyone is. And women are so good at it. Women are so good at talking and it's, it just amazes me. I can hear Jess with her girlfriends on a Friday night talking about, you know, on one hand you're talking about Real Housewives of Beverly Hills or something and then two seconds later someone's innermost, you know, um, the deepest, darkest parts of their soul and then I'll get off the phone to my friends and Jess will say, what did, what did you guys talk about? And I was like, oh, we were arguing over which Trump meme was the best. <laughs> um, you know, it's so... And I just think that maybe, maybe we've got to be talking about this stuff a bit more. Looking ahead from where you are at the moment, your studies, you've almost finished. Two subjects to go, yeah. You've got a 14-month-old, you're married, so things are looking quite positive. Yeah, Yeah, feeling feeling really positive. And look, just really determined. Everything in life happens for a reason. And I don't just mean that in a sort of esoteric sense I mean that you can make the reason your attitude is the only thing you can control in any situation and so as I said I decided very early on that I was going to be positive about this and it wasn't going to beat me you know I want this to be a turning point I want to have these discussions you know I want to raise money for charity I want to speak out I want to be talking about this I think it's like one in 189 men young men will get testicular cancer and if you think about going to a concert I know we can't do that now but if you think about going to a concert or a music festival if you look around a stadium or yeah a sporting match and you look around a stadium and you think how many young men and boys and how many women that are either married to a young man or have a younger brother or a boyfriend or you know any of these sorts of circumstances how many people is this actually going to affect and it's so many you know, and the idea, I'm, I'm 37, so I feel like I'm mature enough to handle being in that cancer world by myself. But the idea of a 17-year-old boy living life to, the, to his fullest finds out that, that it's actually testicular cancer. That's happening on the regular to so many young men. I think it's something that we, we, we really should be talking about more. Would you say this was a life-changing moment? I want this to be a life-changing and a life-defining mm-hmm. moment. Having cancer is not going to define me but it's going to define my life from here on out. And whether that's through advocacy, raising money for charity, having the conversations that we find difficult to have, I want to make that my life mission. There's some stains on your photo Little cracks on your rusty frame In Australia, testicular cancer is the most common cancer in young men. This year, Movember aims to help with this by not only supporting testicular cancer, but prostate cancer and mental health and suicide prevention in young men. 
This Movember, you can help support young Australian men by growing a mo, hosting a party, taking up a challenge or just donating. You can find out more at movember.com.